We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. As usual, stay tuned to the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes, and all of the show notes are over at theentrepreneurethos.com. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for the ratings and reviews. Thanks for the retweets. Well, thanks for everything. Now, on to my guest for today, Alper Chakur, founder of Extensio, a SaaS platform tool that enables users to easily create and share documents and deliverables. Alper moved to LA from Istanbul in 2003 to pursue a career in music. To make money, he began to offer his services as a designer, primarily in web design, eventually making that his full-time career and starting a design agency with his wife. Extensio came about from a tool that he and his team used to build in order to solve the problem of document sharing and visibility across various platforms and devices. It grew out of his work with his clients as they collected information Ask them key questions such as what problems are you trying to solve and who are your primary customers. He began offering the templates his team developed for in-house use as a lead generation and tool for his clients. In 2015, he decided to make it the focus of his business. Extensio's popular user persona template page now has 10,000 plus downloads a month. Alper still plays guitar but he enjoys simply playing for himself. From the very beginning, Alper has looked for ways to be his own master, from seeking work that enables him to still pay, play his music, to start his own agency, and to building a company without outside funding. He channels his creativity into problem-solving and strategizing on how to continue to offer solutions for other companies and to continue to grow and innovate on his own terms. Now... Let's get better together. Alper Chakur, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me, sir. 
And uh, I'm hopefully glad I got the name right because that's the only thing I have to get right this whole conversation. <laughs> and we were talking a it's little. Close enough. Oh, thank you. We were talking a little bit ahead of time where you're like, "How do you say your name? Is it just a different pronunciation of Jerry?" And so I feel you when people are like, oh, "The name? What's the name? You know, what's in the yeah. name?" But you know, it is what it is. And you're the CEO of Extensio which is a SaaS platform of all sorts of coolness. And in fact, I was telling you a little uh, before we got started, I was talking to my fiance today and she's working on a project and she's like, Hey, I need this press kit thing. You know, do you know how to do that? And I'm like, well, yeah, PR professional, we know how to do that. And I was at the same time doing research on you. And I'm like, Oh, this tool does all these cool things like that. And so I sent her the link and I said, yeah, check it out. And we, you know, we busy, Five minutes later, she says, this is beautiful. Tell him this is going to save me so much time and effort. Wow. I really love this. So you got her to love it. That's pretty good. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, that's great. Please, please thank her for that. Oh, for sure. I will. And she'll obviously listen to this as well. But before we get into all what you do at Extensio and your journey, as I always like to say, tell us how you got to do what you're doing today. That's not a short answer, but I'll try to keep it short. So, like, I'm originally from Turkey, Istanbul, and I moved to uh, LA in 2003. So, it's been like 19 years. And my background is actually music, which is odd, but it is what it is. Uh, I did music before moving to States. Uh, I was a guitar player, producer, uh, engineer, uh, all sorts of things. Whatever you can do in music, I did it. Uh, and when I moved to LA, I started looking for music gigs and while doing that i needed to be flexible so i got into doing design work uh, mostly websites and graphics and that led into uh, an emerging new category uh, ux design so at the time you know it was not as well known as it is now and uh, being one of the earlier people in that field i started getting better and better contracts so in 2009 we started an agency with my wife called Fake Grow. And we were mostly serving either startups or companies who are trying to have that startup mentality. And while working with these companies, we were going through a lot of exercises. A lot of the times we realized that we were actually, while trying to answer the initial reason to come to us, we were asking them some harder questions. Okay, why are you building this company? Or like, why do you want to launch this product? and who is it for what problem do you solve do you think that the, the problem is big enough do you think there's a market for this how are you going to reach those people and all those things were coming in forms of design thinking materials you know user personas uh comparisons uh, lean canvases business model canvases etc and for those you know we were using typical tools illustrator google docs you name it and there was a lot of friction while doing that work back and forth. So like any, any, and also because we're an agency, we also wanted all our collateral to look really good. And that's a, that's a struggle. Like you're a small company and you know, like we, you're a design company. So we got designers, but we want designers to design things you know, that, that matters for the, uh, for the companies that we're working for. But we were taking some of their time also to do collateral work as well. And it was, and you know, there were a lot of back and forth with attachments, 
the versions will get lost. You know, like we send something and we can't fix it. People are trying to view those things on their uh, mobile phones and, and tablets and they can't. So there were a lot of issues with the collateral as an agency that we were going through. So, and uh, around, uh, I think it was uh, 2015, we launched the user persona template, which was an illustrator template. And we, all of a sudden, all these people started using it. And people were asking how they can download it. And, and that became a lead generator for us. But also that sparked an idea. We said, you know what? Actually, there's a need for this. Let's share this more and more. And next year, after playing with the idea for like one year, we launched the first version of Extensio on Product Hunt. And it was a toolbox for startups. So it had four or five tools that we were using at the agency. And we offered them for people to do it on, on their own. For startups, and there was a pretty big interest around it. So we said, you know what? There's something here. We're just going to go and like start building more features to enable people to create better collateral and also help them with their strategy going to market as well. So one thing led to another, and after a couple of years of transition, we stopped doing the agency work and started doubling down on Extensio and became a company. And so. And since 2016, we are working solely on Extensio now. Wow, so, so that's how we got here. Cool. So it's like from the agency to the, the tool, which like a lot of agencies do try to do that. I mean, I think it's almost like scratch your own inch. Um, but what's interesting is that persona one, I actually looked you guys up on Ahrefs. I'm like, gosh, let's just see what like these, what's up to it. That's like the number one page is like your user persona page. It's it gets like yeah. sixteen thousand hits organically a month. I mean, it's That's it's like cool. insane, and it looks really good. Like, oh, because you know, I'm I'm working with this new company, um, and personas are their big thing, and I, I haven't really done much of it to be honest. Usually, I have a different take on it. I usually use like like the story, the big idea, but I don't like. I think of it from a top level, not like pulling it down. Although by definition, you sort of get some of that, but I was just like fascinated by this. Cause I'm like, Oh, this is really cool. This is sort of like you take your big idea, then you kind of drill down and how these people. And, and I was actually like, Oh, is there templates in the world? And I'm like, and then I found you guys and I'm, I'm interviewing this guy. <laughs> so this is awesome. so cool. Yeah. Interesting. Awesome. And so do you still do music? Uh, I do, but I do it for personal reasons now. So, like, I do it because I, well, it it, it changes when you don't need to make money from something, and, and that that has been a uh, actually one of the driving forces for me to do something else. Because, like, I being a musician is uh, in a lot of ways similar to being an entrepreneur. Because, like, there's one doing the job, but there's always like finding the game, finding the right audience for that uh, music or whatever service you're providing in music you're looking for the right buyer for that as well maybe that be a record label uh, another producer maybe an artist but you you got a lot of different masters and you're always juggling things and you're you're trying to master uh your skills uh but you know like doing that you know it drags you in different directions which you didn't think that would take you so with extensive the last couple of years actually like i'm going back to my roots in music which is playing the guitar so like i pick up the guitar and I just play whatever i want to play and so like i'm not trying to fit in anything and that is good for me mm. artistically mm. It, it, it's it's a it's a liberating thing nowadays yeah yeah i mean i i have 
it's funny because um, I've actually interviewed a lot of artists that became entrepreneurs. And it's just funny because I have a lot of author friends and a lot of my author friends like hate the marketing hate. I mean, it's like sales is an S word and they're just like, ah, you know, I just want to write my stuff, man. But you're right. It's like, you have to be your own little entrepreneur. I, I call them authorpreneurs just because I think I stole that from Joanna Penn, who's a famous authorpreneur type of person. Um, but what's really interesting about creatives and the business people, because I always say entrepreneurs are the creatives of the business world. I mean, we basically create something from uh, nothing, right? Like, yeah, there's artistry in that as well. Actually, like that was one of the things that that was the uh, turning point for me when I realized that you know what, like actually, like I know that I I like creating things and I like being creative. But it doesn't need to be in one form, actually. Like I can be creative in this other field now, which was designed for a while. And then it's a, now it's a more organizational creativity that I'm going after. Where you know, like I'm being creative, finding solutions, steering the ship in directions in a more strategic way, and I, I love it. Uh, and going back to the, the, the music part again, like you don't need to. Well, if you if you if you don't want to market anything. Then don't put it out there, right? So like then right. like, like I, I I play the guitar and most of it nobody hears and that's fine. I still enjoy it. But the moment I say that you know what I'm going to release this as an album, then you're basically saying like judge me. And for them to judge you, you need to make a good case for yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you don't care how many people are going to listen to you, yeah, by all means, do whatever you want to do. But if you're going to make a living out of it, then you know like then then that becomes then there are requirements. Interesting. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. It's a good point. If you're going to put it out in the world, then yeah, you should promote it. I mean, what's the point, I guess. I mean, you could put it out in the world, put it out in the world for the art's sake. And I get that, but yeah, actually. That's but even really then you're promoting point. it, right? So well, that's I mean, true too. Yeah. Look at me, look at me, but yeah. Like the moment you put something out that you want some other people to listen to, or, yeah. or see it or, or you know consume it one way or another yeah so like you need to frame it in a way and and the frame is usually you when you're an artist you know your art or the, whatever you're putting out is a continuum of you so like you are not detached from what you're doing like i may play the guitar and you know show you a song it's one thing if it comes from me somebody that you don't know if it's something else if it comes from a replant uh, like it's it's you got an expectation when, before you play uh, the song and that you know your, your promotion doesn't need to be a dirty word it, it, it's it's really <laughs> it, it can be really truthful it can be really you know like here i am and and here's what i'm all i'm here to offer you and and that may be good enough you know is that how you approach extensio promoting extensio uh so extensio again is a is a is a company, so like it has its uh, requirements, it has its expenses, it has its vision, it has its goals, and so all those obviously uh, affect our decisions moving forward. But we did something uh, different from the beginning. Uh, so like maybe going back in music business, I was in service business. So like you would hire me, and I played the guitar for your album. You would hire me, I would go on tour with you. You would hire me, I would write the score for your movie. It's services business. 
In design, I was in service business. You hire me and I'll design a website for you. I'll design the you know, onboarding flow for you. Uh, I'll figure out, you know, something that you need help with. And that's services. And then that gig finishes and then I move on to the next thing. And that was actually one of the reasons why we switched from services to SaaS, because now we realized that actually, you know what? We want to automate this services business. We want to offer something where people, I mean, I can help uh, your spouse put together uh, a press kit or, you know, or, or whatever, or uh, a media kit. But like I actually at this point prefer providing her with the platform where she can do it on her own. And, and obviously her needs still steer, uh, steer our decisions for the platform, but we are more liberal. Another thing that was liberating for us was that we decided not to take on any funding. So when you do that, you have less masters. So like, I'm not really reporting to a board. I, when you take funding, you're basically saying like, you're gonna give me X dollars and I'm gonna return some more back to you one way or another in time. And that becomes the driving factor for most of your decisions moving forward. So for us, it was, we, we were trying to find a balance. Like we, we want to first, you know, build something that is helpful. We want to, it doesn't, and we're okay with making mistakes. So we're going to make like bad turns here and there. Hopefully we're going to make more uh, right turns. But if it's okay, it's it's less destructive. There's, uh, it, especially early on, there were uh, less risks for us for making mistakes. And it, it has been also a positive thing. So going back to your question, it's different than you know, doing art, especially without uh, an expectation for a return, definitely. But it's still a free company where it gets to go in whatever direction it wants to go. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting about having the, yeah. Cause what I've found, I mean, I'm trying to do this with some of the PR and marketing stuff I do. It's like, I'd rather build a product to help people do this or help me automate the thing I would do anyway, so that it's repeatable. And the, I like to think of it as like the, there's a certain part of creativity. That's like a, framework or process like like example like the press kit or whatever media kit like there's the same things are always in them it there's no the creativity is not in here's my headshot here's my bio like there's that that stuff's always there the creativity mm -hmm. is the content of that or mm -hmm. the design and look of it um and i found that most of the creativity that i really that that's the spark of genius is like 20 to 30% of the effort. The rest of it is like kind of a, I wouldn't say a boilerplate, but like I see the same things over and over again. And I'm curious, it sounds like that's what sort of happened to you and your agency. And you just decided, heck, like, there's got to be a better way. That is true. I, again, you know, like, and like, you know, in this conversation, we're going back to music a lot, but one of my professors has told me uh, at some point about music. If you do something in music that is 50% off from everything else out there, people are going to think that it's a, it's a weird piece. So it can't be pop, right? And if you do something that is like 99% of the same of what is out there, then it's just cliche. So people are not going to listen to that either. So you need to find that balance where your originality 
comes into place. That's my first point. The second point is, I genuinely believe that any business that you want to start or build stands on three feet. One that needs to be really uh, a real problem that people need to solve. They may be aware of it or not. That's a second phase, but there needs to be a problem. Then there needs to be enough people who, with that problem who are willing to pay for a solution. And the third part is exactly what you're saying, and that's the storyteller. That's what you put on that page, right? So like it's, if you're an artist, what you put on that press kit is, you know, is, is what makes the difference. Yes, like I want to know your, your bio. I want to know where I can find, download your music. I want to know your tour dates. I want to know what you look like. But what you look like, just what just one shot. You can be an 80s glam rock band or you could be a, a folk musician. And I, I like, you, you're going to be judged with that. And that's the storytelling. It, it's very visual, but all these small pieces, usually around you, becomes the first iteration of your brand. So, and you are that storytelling in most cases. Yeah, no, I've, I've found that too. I, I like that. Uh, the problem, are there, is there a problem to solve? Are there enough people to pay for that problem? And then what's the story? Um, mm-hmm. I, I believe- How do you connect these two? How do you connect that? What's the, yeah, how do you connect? Because I always, I always think that the best story wins. I, I really don't think product matters as much anymore because it's pretty much democratized. To a first order, of course, it has to work. <laughs> if it doesn't yes. work, then you, you can't even play. But if, you, yeah. if you've put the effort in to be able to play on the field, right? Like, okay, uh, we can legitimately put a legit team on the field. Then it's like the story, how you play together, the adaption, you know, the adapting the, I love that whole, I love what you said about the, between 50% and 99%. I like, that's, that's the art in it, right? Like yeah. this is this, that's the reason, like in terms of writing um, like genre, like if you're going to write a love story, it has to have certain things in it or it's not a love story. But mm-hmm. if you just like cut and pastes, then everyone's like, okay, this is just Harlequin, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. like the creativity, I think is in, I think it's in constraints. Like these are the constraints, and I also think it's the time pressure. I think is also a good one. But I think it's also how, yeah, how you can. That's ah, a really good point. How you can like that fifty to ninety nine. Like, mm-hmm. where in there are you playing? Because I think some, yeah. some creativity, some market, some things. Maybe it's more towards fifty. Other ones, it may be more towards 99. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, you, you mentioned something, I think, which is important. Uh, the, the category you're in, right? The genre you're in. It doesn't matter if it's business or art. If you're like right in the gray area of all things, it makes it harder for people to find you. So that's really important, especially early on, to be as niche as possible. Yes, maybe the crowd is going to be smaller. So like, you know, like be, be right let's say novels, I write novels about, you know, this kind of persons, this kind of relation, this kind of setting. That's very small, right? Uh, but it's it's gonna help find people find you better. And it's it's easier to market as well. Now you can make a better case and say like, this is exactly why you should listen to me. I may not be the right person for you, but if, if this is what you're looking for, I am the guy that you should read. And that goes the same for, for businesses as well. Now, like it's way easier to build products, which makes it harder to market them. 
uh, in the past, you know, the people had more willingness and time and flexibility to try things. Now, like, yeah, like I've seen CRMs, you know, like there, there are thousands of them. A newsletter, yeah, I can make it in like a thousand places. Why should I choose one over another one? Uh, and, and, you know, if you're going to come to one of these really saturated verticals, then you need to be maybe starting with something way, way more narrow. You know, we are a newsletter solution for podcasters in in entrepreneurship. You like go as deep as possible. And that's usually a good starting point. And if it jives with those people, then yeah, you can just go jump to the neighbor and say like, you know what? We're also for these people as well. But you need to start winning somewhere. Otherwise you're just trying to like, trying to boil the ocean. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I mean, the same with storytelling. Um, specific equals universal. And it sounds silly because you're like, well, no, we want to make it broad. No, 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 you don't. It's specificity equals universality. They teach you that all the time and writing anything, right? Like, because I've written a bunch of books and stuff and I've made this mistake a million times. So I know from experience, but the thing that I think is interesting about what you talk about with niches, you know, and specifically doing things with storytelling, what's interesting is that the more specific you are, it's more personal. It's more like, this is who I am. But the other thing that I found is that people see themselves in the story when it's specific. And it's the generic hardly ever works. And a lot of brands don't understand that. They think, oh, well, we have to, we're a SaaS company, blah, blah, blah. And, and granted, there's certain things, there's requirements, like you got to have these certain things. But the more personal the story, the more specific the need, it seems in the beginning, as you mentioned, maybe from zero to million or million to 10 million revenue, whatever, like that trough of sorrow, you know, like valley of despair, like, are we going to make it, you know, that's where you got to play because you don't know what you don't know, right? Yeah, there's a lot of experimenting and early on, it's way easier as well. I give this example all the time. So like, if you want to start something, maybe start with a question. I am planning to do this. What do you guys think? Instead of building anything, you know, because like, let it, let it be, let people imagine as well, right? We just, we just going to be very much closely tied to you as a brand, but you can say, hey, I'm going to start the podcast, right? You can just start it and then put it out there and hope that people find you. But you could also ask people, hey, like I'm thinking about like doing this podcast in this area. What do you think? And if you're not getting any response, then don't do it. If you're getting a lot of response, you're onto something. Then you can go and look about. Let's say you asked 100 people, what do you think if I start an entrepreneurship podcast in health about healthcare on startups? Very specific, right? Then you send that to obviously relevant people, 100 people. And even like five of them responded. Then look at who those people are. Don't worry about like the 95%. But look at that 5%. Those five people said, you know what? This is really interesting. I need that. Why do they need that? And then you can look at who those people are, what their lives look at at that moment. Well, you know what? Like I'm just trying to get into this field. And that's why it's important for me. I am really seasoned in this field and I'm trying to sharpen my skills. I, you know, like I have... uh, 
I have interest because of ABC in this field. You know, like whatever they tell you, you, if you just talk to those five people, I guarantee if you can find five people, there is another 500,000 people with, with similar parallel needs. Yeah, it's almost like find the audience and then figure out the yeah. need the audience yeah. has. I, I actually did that. This last book I, I, I published called Story Driven Outreach. You know, I've written six books before. All those books are what I wanted to read. They do okay, marginally okay, right? If I'm to be honest, right? For the amount of effort, it's really not what, I mean, worth it, but not that worth it, right? So this last one, I'm like, well, I should actually write a book someone wants to read. <laughs> and thankfully, I've got communities, like you said, like these are the things, you know, and I go, well, what do you guys want to know? And there is not a business and a marketer on the pl- PR person on the planet that doesn't want to get higher response rates to their emails. Just, it's a universal problem, right? Especially cold emails and like, how do you craft them and how do you do a story-driven approach to outreach, right? So I'm like, well, I'll just write that because I do that literally every day. <laughs> and yeah. it was way more successful, like launched, you know, I'm happy with it and it's got work to do on it. But that was the thing. It was good. This, this was like, I started that in October of last year and I published it in May, uh, March of this year, like really, you know, a little small book, but to your point, it's like, don't build it yet. Find out what the market needs. And since today building stuff is not that complex anymore, you can do that more. Right. And so I'm curious if you use this methodology when you're trying to expand what you do at uh, Extensio, I mean, are there experiments that you guys do where you're like, well, hey, we're really good at this. Let's try this. How do you go about that innovation creativity? Because you're a decent sized company now. I mean, you're not mm-hmm. you're not in a garage anymore. I mean, maybe you are. I don't know, but like <laughs> I'm in a co-working space. But oh yeah, yeah, cool, yeah. But you guys are, you know, like you've got some big clients, some customer. I mean, it seems like you've you know you've got great organic traffic. You've done like a lot. Like, how do you guys innovate, and how do you like what? How do you figure out what you work on next? So one of the things that that was really important for us at the agency was the data. But you know we we decided not to be data driven, but to be data inspired. Uh, you know, like the the famous quote is: if I ask people you know what they wanted, they would tell me they they need uh, faster horses, right? But there's a follow-up question that you can say, like, why do you need faster horses? And that leads to innovation. Then you can just step out of that understanding and say, you know what? Actually, I want to go from A to B faster. So maybe there's a better way. Right. So like then, uh, and that's the approach with Extensio as well. People ask for stuff, and then we try to understand why they're asking those stuff. And then we decide if if it is something that we in line with what we want to build. There are, there are a million options. Like when you got like thousands of people coming to you, you'll get a lot of ideas. And, you know, and everybody has their own specific problem at a specific time. So they'll ask you stuff that's related to that. You know, like, let's say, you know, uh, you guys are trying to put together a press kit. Then you will say, you know what? Oh, like I need the images here to look better. So like the, the image editor and extensor needs to be better. Right. So that's one case. Or, you know, somebody else will come and say, like, you know what, like, I finished this. I need to be able to send this to somebody. So, or I'm going to just put it on my poster so they can, oh, I need a QR 
code to share this. So the need, and then you pick and choose. He's like, you know, like, is the group the ideal group for us to grow? And is it in line with what we want to build? Is it like really answering? For example, you know, we get a lot of one of the experiments we did was we built a, a resume template, very valuable. You know, thousands of people use it all the time. But who uses the resumes? They're the people who are looking for jobs, so they don't have much money to pay. So, like, it's not the ideal customer at all. But it has marketing value. Sure. Like those people get hired, and then, you know, like, they yeah. introduce extension in their organizations. That's great. But for as an ideal customer, we're trying to cater to not individuals, but companies or, or, or businesses. So, like, that template example was, even though it's, it's a performing template, one of, one of our toolkit, it's it's potentially not the most ideal one for us. It's good for people, so we keep it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think it just depends on the the short and the long term, like the nurturing thing. That's like that's a lot of times sure. when we get in, like in the PR and marketing world, a lot of people are like, "Well, what's the ROI on PR?" And I'm like, "I can't yeah, tell you. Hard. I can't tell you that." And they're like, "Well, why should I spend money on it?" And I'm like, "Okay, well, that's a fair point. Like, and I never have a good answer, but the answer I always use is like, well." What's the ROI on, you know, something that's like, tan- like, what's the ROI on finance? Well, I need finance. Well, why? Why do you need finance? Why don't you just get a robot to do it? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, well, well, okay. You know, like, then they're like, oh, they think. And they're like, well, okay, look, if you're running a business, there's just certain things you have to do. Some of them have an ROI and some of them don't. Some of them are very measurable. Some of them don't. And I think what I like about what, that example is like very successful thing that's really not targeting the market that you want to go after. You're like, mm-hmm. I want people with money. I don't want people mm-hmm. looking for a job. But to your point, like, you know, maybe they'll use us when they get a job or, you know, that, that's a very, you know, common thing. Like you know, a lot of people, you know, when they retire, they go by a mercy, right? Why is that guy wearing the mercy? Because like from his childhood, that's what they see as, as a sign of, uh, you know, accomplishment at some point in their life. And when they reach that point, you know, like that may be a new car, but you know, that Mercedes is the one that that has been with them all their life. So like it's so it's it's not because it's the fastest car, it's not because it's the most durable, uh, but it has it has brand value. So a lot of the times you're juggling the immediate needs of the business while trying to build up that brand that's gonna be uh, living for a long time. So like my goal at Extensive is exactly the same. So we search, right? So like as you said, like we got high search volume. We get about 100,000 people on our site every month. And those 100,000 people come for a reason. But if I just introduce them more reasons to come back and, you know, I also spread the word, that builds up the, the brand. And SaaS is a little different than a lot of other companies. It's an ongoing value proposition so like we are trying to uh, add continuous value to our customers lives right so like it, it, otherwise it's, it's just it's a, it's a transaction it's not about a transaction it's about the ongoing value providing what we're basically saying is like this is the better way for you to strategize your business communicate with external and internal stakeholders uh, so everything we do, well, usually starts with something simple, like we said, you said, we talked about it earlier. Let's build a person. And then we ask people, okay, why are these people trying to build a person? They're trying to market something better. Right? 
which means they need other things, which means, you know, like then they're going to need landing pages, they're going to need reports, they're going to need uh, one pages, they're going to need sell sheets, they're going to need competitive analysis, they're going to need, uh, you know, as the company gets bigger, uh, maybe an employee handbook or, you know, like a, a, a um, business meeting agenda, like all sorts of things that's connected. And so like usually what happens at Extensio is somebody finds Extensio for one specific reason, then it starts spreading in that organization. And in, in our case, actually, we, we are still mostly serving the small businesses. Uh, so these are companies usually with uh, less than 20 employees. Even at larger companies, you know, it really starts with a, a small team, uh, the marketing team or the UX research team, starting with one thing. And then all the other things leaves room for their creativity. They go like, you know what? Actually, I like this persona. For example, I'll give you an example. IBM at some point were using those user personas for uh, creating profiles for their employees while internally sourcing to put together teams. So like it's basically your card, it's your traits, your expertise, your, your skills, etc., and your interest. And then like if I'm putting together a team for building an AI engine of some sort, then I can sift through those profiles and go like, oh, these are the guys who would be a good match for. So, but we did not build, you know, an AI team building profiler, but we just gave them a platform where they can be flexible with it. Yeah, no, that's actually a really good point. It's sometimes the in, it's like the unintended consequences, right? It's yeah. sort of like, oh, I, you know, like I mean, Canva, which I'm, I don't know if it's a competitor or not, or Vizme, which is another one mm-hmm. that I know some people at. Um, sure. It's sort of like, you know, you, yeah, you start and then, and then it's sort of like, I do really, one thing really well. And then it like, it's like a mm-hmm. ripple effect. Yeah. Um, and, and it's really important, I think, to, have that mentality as a startup, especially when you're trying to figure out product market fit. And like, you know, again, zero to a million, zero to 5 million is like the toughest part. Like zero to anything is the tough part. Zero to anything is like, the first dollar is the hardest one. First, first the first year actually with not monetize. I think we already had uh, about 100,000 people used our tools before we started monetizing it. Because we were doing the agency and it was just a, you know, citing for us. Uh, we like the recognition, it was building a brand. So like, we really like those things. Uh, but, you know, like over time, you get to a point where you go like, well, you know what, there's something real here. So like, let's go ahead and like, but not all businesses are like this. Like, I mean, if you want to launch the rocket, then you obviously need to raise money and like, you know, have the right partners and, and spend a couple of years before anything sees their life. Yeah. So it depends, depends really on the kind of thing that you want to build. And, which leads to uh, another thing. So, like, this is a long journey. So, like, if you're in it just to say, you know what, like, I'm just, which is, a, which is an option. I'm just going to build something small and sell it and move on. There are people who are doing it. They're successful. That was not the driving force for me. I really wanted to build a brand that is long-lasting and, and continuously growing. And, and I, I also wanted to be uh, in control of its destiny as much as possible for, for a really long time, which means I really need to love what I do. Otherwise, it's torture. Like every day, you know, you start then like there are fires, there are you know things that they don't work, there are 
there are complaints, there are kudos, like all sorts of things. It's ups and downs, day in, day out, on an hourly basis. Some things are better than others, but like, there's going to be always like, you know, uh, pitfalls, there are going to be always hurdles, like it's a part of the game. And you need to have, you need to be enjoying the journey, really, more than the outcome, if you want to do it for a long time. And that's one of the things, you know, that, that like, I'm probably jumping to your last question early, but yeah, no, please. The, the entrepreneurs should really ask them, would I be willing to, would I be willing to spend the same amount of enthusiasm and, and love and attention and effort on this thing in five years? Mm. Like, how would I feel about this, you know, uh, in, in over time? And, and the thing is, like, it changes. Yes. Extensio is not where we started. So, like, it's a drastically different product now. Like, I mean, it was a toolbox for startups. Now it's a business strategy and communications platform for all sorts of things. So it changes over time. And that's another driving force. Like, all your decisions is not only to cater to the market, but also to cater to your journey. And, you know, like, all the things that you would be willing to do for that journey during that journey. So you need to ask yourself as an entrepreneur or someone who's willing to become an entrepreneur, is this something that I will be willing to take on for a really long time? Will I still love this idea or this journey in a couple of years? Yeah. No, I've heard, I've heard the other one. Uh, are you, how in love with the problem are you to solve? In, independent yeah. on how you solve it. Like, is this something sure. you want to spend the next... That's I've even heard, years. you know, five, seven, ten years trying to solve. Yeah. Um, because it takes well, that because long. the problem evolves as well. Yeah, that's good point. That's actually a very good point, too. It's for example, for us, continue. I'll give you an example about that as well. For us, you know, COVID, right? So like you started the podcast at the beginning of it. And with COVID, before COVID, well, back in my day. I was trying to get these gigs as uh, to work from home because you know, I'm a musician. I want to stay home, like and be able to go to gigs. So, like if you're hired and say, tell me to come to the office every day nine to five, that affects everything else I do. I I just want my flexibility, but so much friction. You know, like I was getting offers. I I I turned down a lot of offers for a lot of companies because it was on site, and I I was like I can't do it on site. Like I, it's not me. And now we're working all from home, right? But but work has not changed. I mean, like we're still doing work. Actually, I think people are doing okay in terms of efficiency and focus and all that in general, which was a surprise. But like I personally was not able to make that case to larger companies. Now times have changed, and, and everybody's working remotely, and it's just fine. So now the problem that we were trying to solve, making people work together, uh, has immersely changed. Like. It's it's a completely different ball game now. Like now, it was like yeah, like it's nice if we can just you know connect from somewhere and and work on this document. It's like we have to do that because we're not in the same location. Anymore. So like your problem evolves over time as well, and then you steer your solution in that direction. Yeah, no, I'm totally. I mean, like even Zoom. I mean, we're on Zoom now, right? Like recording this. Yeah. I mean, even Zoom pre-pandemic was like ah, it's cool, whatever. You know, and then there's of course WebEx and go to meeting like on all the ones. But then all of a sudden, when we have to all be online and working remotely, it's like Zoom turns on like a rocket. And you're like, why is that? And I think it's this it adapted. It 
it was easier to use. Grandma could use it. And they had just, a, it was interesting because their business model was personal. It wasn't business like WebEx is super secure and two-factor auth. This whole thing is like a nightmare to, to get grandma to use it, right? Yeah. But yeah. they had their, you know, that's yeah. the moment, right? You got to adapt to it. And, then, and you're right. The problem changes. It's so fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things is, you know, you can, the biz, bigger businesses have their limits. They need to be more secure, you know, and they need to grow. They have a lot of promises to keep, you know, from mm-hmm. uh, shareholders to boards. You know, they, they, they need to, well, if you're Zoom, Slack, you know, all those guys now, you basically are saying, you know what, like we are at this size, like the stakes are really high and we need to grow like 20% this year. Now, like all the decisions are going to be towards creating that growth. Right? So like they can't say, you know what, I'm just going to serve the grandma as well. Because they can't, they need to move away from the grandma to bigger businesses because that's where the money is, right? As you get bigger, this happens all the time. When a company starts getting bigger, they start creating a bubble where they're not servicing. And that's where a niche really becomes valuable as well. You go in and like provide that niche. A good example is, uh, well, for this is Trello, actually. You know, Asana is a great, was a great uh, project management tool. You know, you could do really organized, secure sprints. We used it as well. And then came Trello. We were one of the earlier users. And it was like way more easier. It didn't have any of the bells and whistles. But I could, you know, like we, I remember using it for our wedding or, you know, like when we were moving. And also like while we were building extensive because it was very flexible. But at the same time, it was enabling. It was letting us do things instead of putting blockers in front of us and that's where like zoom i think is a good example of that as well they said you know what you can just come in and join this call it's that easy you know on any device you don't even need to log in just put in your name you're in let's talk right and that's what people needed less friction but as they move forward you know they need to build all these additional things uh, because you don't want to see people without pants um, <laughs> on and big, big Zoom calls. Right? And even worse than that. Yeah. Even worse. Even worse. Well, I think, yeah, it's this whole idea of friction, adding friction, reducing friction. Because what's funny is mm-hmm. I, I like that because a lot of times people think, okay, we need to reduce friction. Okay. Friction, friction's the enemy. But then you get to a point where you actually have to add in a little friction for other reasons. And, and this is a classic thing for, for government, just generally, if you're dealing with the government, a lot of them, a lot of my tech bros would be like, well, we just got to make government more efficient. And I'm like, no, government's job is not to be efficient, it's to be fair and to have a level playing field. There has to be friction in the system or not everything is going to get sorted out. It's a different model. Now, of course they can have efficiencies, but they're adding friction to make it more fair as opposed to the slippery slope in. And, and I think you really have to understand that. And that, that's why I'm glad you brought that up because as you said, now Zoom gets bigger, they have to add more friction because they've got other issues to deal with, like security and like, you know, people with no pants on and stuff like that, yeah. right? And Remember just, like I went to a, a couple of centuries ago, we did not have any passwords. Yeah. There were no such thing as you know, passwords like yeah. you would just move from one country to another if you could but the thing is nobody was able to do that right right and now like when you got planes and like you know be able to move forward more freely all of a sudden there's a lot of people coming in and out 
And, you know, for, for a long time, UK didn't have, you know, IDs. I don't know if they have IDs now, but like a lot of the things become necessity as the problem changes as well. You know, transportation, we stole these additional blockers. Yeah, more friction, a little more friction. More well, friction. Thanks so much for being on the show. This has just been great. I really appreciate it. Like, I, right. everyone should check out. Yeah, everyone should check out Extensio. Like, it's fiance endorsed. <laughs> so, A plus. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Minerva, for that. Um, yeah. And yeah, uh, stay safe, keep in touch, and keep up the great work. You too. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, man. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Alper, for the great interview and uh, talking about creativity in business. As I always like to say, us entrepreneurs are the creatives of the business world, and uh, it's always good to find another fellow creative trying to change the world as well. So, as promised, here are some actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Alper. Alper identifies the three essential building blocks for a company. One, a problem to solve. Two, a, supl- a solution that people will pay for, and three, good storytelling to sell your product or service. So I think, you know, you've heard me uh, pontificate about this a lot, that the, the best story wins. Um, all the, I say that all the time, and it's true. Uh, I think nowadays, as products become more democratized, you're just going to need to win on story. So love him saying that, and also I really do believe that as well. Alper recommends focusing on one small specific niche to start. Even five customers can be a starting point. And, you know, Russell Brunson, right, the ClickFunnels guy is always like, the riches are in the niches, right? And it's true. In in order to actually start, you have to really narrow down and be very specific um, because there's so many things that can change. So once you find that one market that you can really go after, that one niche inside of a market, um, you just got to go for it because it's just so hard to figure out a broader range. So ask yourself what niche can you niche down to as a kind of a beachhead so that you can actually get things going. And then obviously you can expand from there. You know, most venture capitalists will look at your narrow niche and then look at how that may apply to a broader category. So you always have to have the broad category in mind. But if you can get a beachhead and, you know, get to a million, 10 million in revenue in a niche, I mean, you're winning. So think about it that way. Extensio is data inspired rather than data driven. More than simply collecting the data about what people say they want, Alper says it's important to ask why they want it. This will give a better picture of what the actual problem is you're trying to solve. And I love this term and I'm going to totally steal it. (laughs) Um, Being data inspired, I think, is, is a great way to go. I mean... Data-driven is one thing, and of course, in order to be data-driven or even data-inspired, you're going to actually have to collect data and understand it. But I love the whole thing about ask the why. So when you are getting new feature requests or you're trying to find your way, ask why. What what will this do? Why do they want it? I mean, the guys at Basecamp do this all the time, right? They're just like, they get tons and tons of feature requests, and they just won't accept them until there's just this growing massive need and real why on why this thing works. So that's actually a really great thing. So always ask why about your data. So there you have it. The actionable insights that I learned from my awesome interview with Alper. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. 
If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.